0: All right, everybody, this is a first for the show after four that we're in the fourth season. And I've got my my first guest who's come on for the third time, and you're going to find out why. My guest today, is Steve Drum. So for those of you who've listened previously, season one and Steve, I think season three, but maybe season two. This is your third time around, so it must not have been a terrible experience for you. So let me introduce Steve. Steve is a friend of mine. He's somebody that I met through a program of you just become buds over the time. But now again, let me give you the professional bio. Steve is a retired Navy SEAL Master Chief. He served 27 years. Thank you for your service. He was the co-creator of the Navy's Warrior Toughness Program. And I'm so excited that you're back because he is a published author of the brand new book, Life on the X, A Navy SEAL's Guide to Meeting Any Challenge with Courage, Confidence, and Readiness. Steve, it's awesome to have you back. And how fun is it that last time you were on, we talked about you writing a book and you've written a book and it's out and people can buy it right now. That's right. It's,
1: it seems like it's taken forever, right? I was like, right, like right as COVID was hitting, that's when I started thinking about, you know, that's when I started putting it into play and it just, it's been a long process, but for sure, I'm so glad that it's kind of out now that it, you know, that I can see it up on Amazon and other places. So, I mean, it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm dude, I'm really excited for you. It's, I just have so much admiration for anybody who ever writes a book. It is just not my cup of tea. Not mine promise. either. I promise you. <laughs> Steve, Steve's like, yeah, I hear feel you, man. That's really good. So, Steve, before we before we talk about like life on the X, why you wrote the book, let's talk a little bit about your background and what led you to the Navy, and just a little bit about your career. And you know, share what you can. Obviously, there's a lot of things you can't share with us, but yeah, what do you want people to know about you in terms of your 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 non-civilian life?
1: Yeah, no, I think you can go back to my childhood, and I talk about this is. I always identified with the military in some way, shape or form, you know, that kind of evolved over the years as to actually what led me to kind of enlisting into the Navy at 18 years old. But I always fashioned myself as wanting to do some kind of, uh, some kind of commando stuff, right. Doing, you know, Mm. the army green berets in Vietnam were like my heroes. And then I kind of found out, well, there's uh, these things called Navy SEALs and they're like special forces, but they're for the Navy. And I decided, well, if I do that, I can go, to probably arguably the most difficult selection assessment process. So if I make it through, I've really said something about myself. And the nice thing about the Navy at the time was you if you wanted to be Army Special Forces, you had to kind of go in and you had to be in there for a few years. But if you wanted to go through the SEAL program, you could do it right off the street, go through boot camp, go through like a, a small school, and then actually show up to SEAL training. And I like that. Even though that's not exactly how things worked out for me in the end, I, I basically <laughs> yeah. was so – I was so bad at math that I failed to qualify for <laughs> seal training uh, and I was also doubly dumb for believing the recruiter when he said he'd waiver those oh co- waiver those few points so I show up did you know long story short showed up uh worked on submarines for two years in Connecticut, and then uh went out to seal training but yeah, I mean that was it, and I think it's important that people just know um you know I, I've been incredibly fortunate to Serve with some of the finest people in my opinion on the planet and I've had great experiences. And so I'm, I think I'm just a, a normal person. I think, you know, there's no, there's nothing, you know, remarkable, uh, you know, incredibly remarkable about the the things that we possess and other than kind of our drive in just how hard we prepare and train for the moments that, you know, are, are critical to us.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that, Steve, you say, there's nothing, really special except for also the millions of dollars of investment in your training. And the like, you know, like at least what pop culture says that p- people in Navy SEALs or army rangers, like significant, significant investment in the various levels of training you have over a whole bunch of different disciplines.
1: Well, and that's exactly right. I, I was kind of referring, and you're right about that for sure. I, I think I just kind of just referred to the fact that, you know, we're just, you know, a lot of people, there's a mythology in terms of people in special operations, like some kind of, you know, incredible humans, superhumans, whatever. And it's just, it's just normal people that are in, incredibly driven and committed and willing yeah. to do whatever it takes. And Competitive. Competitive is obviously huge. Doing whatever yeah. it takes to kind of accomplish the job, and that's really what it's about. And that includes, you know, and that benefits, you know, the benefits of that are the millions and millions of dollars poured into our training and preparation.
0: Yeah, so what, as a, as a Navy SEAL... Let's talk a little bit more about. Just give them a little more education here, whatever you can share. As a Navy SEAL, you go through the process. You become. You go to San Diego. You go through the Navy SEAL. Uh, for what what uh, the buds is that? Yeah, what that buds. School is called. Yep. Yeah. Stands
1: for basic underwater demolition SEAL training. Six month. Per
0: yeah, I've read. I've read. I think they talk about it in Lone Survivor. I was like, that sounds. That sounds intense. Yeah. And you you graduate that, and then you from there do you specialize?
1: Yeah, so how it worked back in the day, and it's a different training pipeline now. But back then when I went, I I showed up in 1995, graduated in winter of 1996. Fortunate. I was able to make it through the first time. Didn't get rolled, didn't get dropped, which, you know, a lot of people do. It's just, you know, worked yeah. my body held up. But from there, we would go to just pack all our stuff up and drive cross country to Fort Benning, Georgia, where we would do airborne school. Basically, it's a three-week training with mm. the Army that could, should take about three days. <laughs> But they like to extend it out with all that silliness. And from there, we would go to, you know, your respective coasts, which, you know, typically East Coast, back to Coronado or to uh, Virginia Beach, where I was was stationed. And so from there, you wait around and you class up into what was called SEAL tactical training at the time, which is basically like a six month training that bridges the gap between the very, very basic things that you learn at BUDS. And the much higher level things that you learn when you join a SEAL platoon.
0: Yeah, and that, and then in a SEAL platoon, you've got your, you've got your team, and then that's it. Which is a little bit different than the military. Like you're basically that team is the small team that you are with.
1: Yeah, and it's confusing. And- it's confusing. The structure really is if you think of a SEAL team as a squadron, like if you military. So. Each SEAL team, you know, and and they change kind of the construct. Each SEAL team typically has three operational troops and a troop is comprised of either two to three platoons. And so when I was in a SEAL troop, it was, you know, we averaged between like uh, 40, 50 people. And then as you deploy, you take on more people that are in your Uh group, that are enablers, things like that, that help you do your job. The people with the, the, the electronic widgets and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Nice. So 27 years. What does it mean to be a Master Chief? what it, What does that mean for yes yeah, so for the common people, people?
1: You know, most people think Master Chief. The only re- the only reason they've heard that is because they or they, their children played Halo, right? <laughs> the character. I was going to say yes, Master yeah, yeah, so most a people are familiar yeah, with totally. that. The reason I introduce myself, and I am not like I am not one of those guys. It's like you're all wrapped up in a title. But the, one of the reasons is 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 when people think of military leaders, they automatically assume you know generals, admirals, colonels, captains you know all majors all that kind of stuff and really what they don't maybe don't realize is just how significant especially in the navy especially in military special operations just how significant a role that senior enlisted play as leaders right mm-hmm. so as an example as a senior enlisted leader leader when i was a troop chief I mean i was an E8 i was a senior chief petty officer and so my job was to basically work underneath a troop commander. And so it's my job to make sure that I'm running tactics, I'm running training, and even on full-size troop hits, I'm managing the battlefield, right, in terms of I'm managing the tactics. And then the troop commander is overall in command of everything that happens on that battlefield and they're, you know, the big picture, but it's my job to make sure that I'm running the tactical maneuver elements, like who goes where, who does what, when it comes to fighting the enemy. And that kind of translates up to the highest levels of leadership. So as, and I, I never uh, achieved this title, but command master chief or an army, maybe command sergeant major, you are basically the right hand man or woman of that commander. So you mm-hmm. think of like an admiral or a general, the person they go to, is that senior enlisted leader because those are the ones that can really inform that commander and advise them on all the policies and actions they take, how that's going to affect the people and the mission on the ground. And so I think, that I say all that because it's really important that people know that senior enlisted leadership model. And I always kind of often tell, you know, executive leaders, Hey, there's something to be learned from trying to attempting to replicate that model where you take people that will never be necessarily executive leaders, executive officers, but you could take them and bring them up to advise you at those very high levels.
0: Yeah. And there's value in that outside of like, like you said, the education that comes with like a like uh, what's what called a non-commissioned officer, right? Somebody that, that's right. that comes in out of college or comes out of the Naval Academy and comes in as an off some sort of officer by education, not by experience in the field necessarily.
1: And that's right. And, and I will say this, today more than half of all SEAL candidates have a college degree.
0: So even yeah. though they enlist,
1: they, they're educated, they're smart, right? And they're doing yeah. this, they're joining the military to specifically do this job.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk for a couple of minutes about You mentioned, uh, we mentioned in your intro, the Navy's Warrior Toughness Program. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, what I'm doing is I'm kind of building the foundation to talk about why about the book, what it means, because I want to make sure that people understand your background so that we can talk about why you had to write this book, why it's important for you to do this. So the Navy Warrior Toughness Program, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so that was basically the last job I had in the Navy. I was transferred from Virginia Beach, where I spent almost my entire career, and transferred up to the Navy's boot camp in Great Lakes. And my initial job was to kind of oversee the program that onboarded young men and women into the the Navy at Navy's boot camp that had contracts for SEAL, diver, air rescue swimmer, the specialized program. While I was there, I basically was approached, and and the story I always like to tell is myself, a clinical psychologist and a chaplain, we're kind of locked into a room and told by this admiral, "You three need to figure out how to make our sailors tougher." And we're like, "Well, mm.
0: what? <laughs> how do we do that?" What Wait, is that- what? hold on. A clinical psychologist, you and the chap and the naval chaplain. Yes. <laughs> I, writing. I like I like this person who puts you in a room. I'm like, this is a good combination. Of, this is like a joke. This is great. It's
1: 100 percent. And everybody's thing. Oh, that sounds like a joke. And I'm like, man, we need to get somebody. We never got around to writing a you know a punchline for uh, that. It's joke. To be so good, yeah. But you know, the reason is it's you're really approaching things from mind, body, soul. And so my initial mm-hmm. reason for being on the team was like, hey, you've got you've got a chaplain, you've got a psychologist. Well, your average maybe enlisted person they may not relate to those type of people, but bring a SEAL in who knows what it's like to to you know perform and train for combat things like that. Um, he ought to know what he's talking about. And so, but what we all realized is we all kind of had a lot of really there was a lot of overlap. There was a lot of similarities with how we approached the the problem of solving toughness. And, right. And the first thing we had to do was define it. We defined it as. Being able to take a hit and keep going, whether that's the you know uh, an actual physical wound, or you're on a ship and a missile hits and your friends are injured, it's like get back up into the fight. But also, everything has to translate to the other elements and aspects of your life, right? So you have to take a hit in your personal life, right? A loss of a relationship, maybe you didn't get that promotion, and you still you got to keep moving forward. Two, you got to be able to perform under pressure, right? And, you know when, when the, the pressure's on, when, when bullets are flying, or when you just have it up, up on a deadline, or maybe you, in you know civilian world you got a presentation, you got a pitch to the C suite. It's like, hey, you got to you got to be able to calm yourself and you got to be able to execute what you practiced in the clutch when it's difficult. And lastly, you know, in the SEAL teams, we would go on often high tempo deployments, you know, you think 3 to 6 months of deployments, you're going out on multiple hits. You know, you accumulate a lot of kind of emotional, mental and, you know, physical fatigue. And so it's like, hey, sure. you got to stay you got to stay locked in. And then the very in the other aspect is, you know, you may have a sailor on a ship somewhere staring at a radar screen. Right, ninety nine percent of the time there's nothing going on. But if they if they get complacent and they and they tune out, yeah, then ships can crash, people can die. So it's critical that you're able to kind of deal with that day in day out grind, stay focused and engaged.
0: Yeah. Awesome, Steve. So let's talk about the book. Life on the X. I want to start, and I've been curious about this. What does life on the X mean?
1: You know, it's funny, I like telling this story, right? My my mother, you know, bless her. I'll, I'll, you know, one, one of my, uh, he keeps me in line, right? Keeps me grounded. She's like, life on the X nobody's gonna know what that means <laughs> so fortunately i can come on i can come on podcasts and unpack it a little bit and so so hold, so hold on a minute what you're
0: saying is your mother's prepared you for the pr tour for this book that that's a great mom that's fantastic
1: yeah yeah always there to support right <laughs> but um really the x comes from my time in the military and so if you think of the the x it's a military doctrine term but you can think of it almost as x marks the spot right so For example, if we drive up to the objective and pile out of our armored vehicles and hit the door, right? Or if we fast drop out of a helicopter, we refer to that as the X, right? We're landing right there. It's that convergence Mm. of everything. And we also use it, though, in a different context slightly, and that is if we get ambushed, right? If we are patrolling down the street in an urban setting and we are in that kill zone, we refer to that as the X as well. In that case, we got to maneuver we got to get off that X, but that X represents that most dangerous, that most critical part of a combat operation, right? And and that's what we gear our training to. You gear your training and preparation to the most difficult, the most dangerous. And so the translation here is that we have all of us in some way, shape or form have that in our own lives. Right, maybe it's yeah. professionally, maybe it's personally, and it's everywhere. From again that big presentation, it's it's you know you're you're waiting to to have a sales call with a client with a customer that you've been waiting to see for three months, and you've got to get it right because you may not have another chance. So you show up in that moment, and you show up, and you're ready to go. But or maybe it's hey, you, your your kid just did something really stupid, and you got a call from the high school principal, and as you're driving home you were going ahead and you're like, all right, what best serves this moment? What best creates the behavioral change? Uh, yeah. you, you know, whatever it is, it's like being intentional and deliberate in advance of your important moments.
0: Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm thinking about my former career and what I, what I do now more for clients and their exes where they bring in the exes, we talk about them and it's very, it's very high stakes. It's not life and death, but a lot of these things people are dealing with is very high stakes. and I don't know this to be true, and correct me if it's not, but I, what, I hear, what I hear about the life and the ex is how do you prepare yourself mentally, physically, emotionally? How do you do your very best to prepare for it so that when the shit goes down, because what's, what is almost 100% certainty, it's not going to go the way you specifically exactly trained for it, that you can you know what to do it be a sales call, whether it be that like tough conversation with your kids, whether it be in a, in a kill zone in a military operation. Like I, I forget what it said, like, what's this thing in the military you plan so that you can improvise, like whatever that saying is, because, like, it never goes how you, there's no way to predict how it's actually going to go.
1: No. And that's right. Now you, you, you do, you cut no corners, you spare no expense, right? So to speak, you don't yeah. wing it when you go into the situations, Right. And so you do everything methodically to make sure that you're ready. You have your ducks in a row. Right. You the knowledge you've gained, the skills you developed, you show up in that moment and you're ready to go. But with that comes the acceptance that life often has other plans for us. And so part of the thing that I talk about and, and, you know, some of the mental skills is self-talk is what we have in in sports psychology or performance psychology known as a performance mantra, performance statement. And that's the self-talk that goes through. Right. And, and so for me, I'll go back to my first time in combat being shot at on a rooftop in Iraq. And I and I catch myself thinking, oh, no, this isn't good. This is we're, we're taking heavy fire. And and I start thinking about the oh, no, the what ifs. Right. You start it, when the stress is, is high. Often the thoughts that populate your head are not ones that serve you are ones that divert yeah. your focus and attention away from where they need to be. And so in that moment, I remember thinking the three things that every Navy SEAL knows when it comes to being in a gunfight. Shoot, move, communicate. And that's my cue. Mm. It's my reminder to snap my focus and attention back on what matters. No, these are just obvious things. So it's the same thing. You maybe you are nervous. Your hands are sweating. Your heart's racing before you walk onto your ex, whatever that looks like. And you just remind yourself, because you're a professional, you've done this to prepare. You know this. The team has worked on this. Whatever it is, you tell yourself that. Then you finish with saying, you know what? Maybe today's the day I get thrown a curveball. Good. Fine. Because it's my opportunity to demonstrate my agility, my poise, right? And so you always go in there knowing that you have to pivot and adjust. But you go in there not having to worry about the little details because you've taken care of them.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So why did you write the book?
1: Yeah, so as I was getting ready to exit the military, you know, probably even before – even before I got rolled into the warrior toughness program, which was like my last two and a half, maybe, yeah, close to three years, I extended a little bit to help build the program further. But I'm looking out and I'm like, all right, well, what do I want to do? I don't know what I want to do necessarily. All right, so let me reflect on back on what the most meaningful elements and aspects of my career were. And, you know, I enjoyed operating. I enjoyed training for combat. I enjoyed, you know, going overseas into a combat environment. I did. Um, but if I look back, I'm like, all right, what what was my biggest contribution to the military? And I have to say that it you know, wasn't taking certain bad guys off the battlefield, as sexy as that might be to say, but it was more about me training other people. And whether that was being mm-hmm. in, a, in a, an instructor capacity, whether it's going overseas and training foreign uh, special operations partner forces, or me in the Warrior Toughness program, it's like being able to distill experiences down, take my experiences and effectively translate them to help other people in whatever that environment or whatever that profession is. And that's really why I wrote the book.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the process of writing a book. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> For those who are your, uh, you know, this is not a video podcast. The look on Steve's face was, oh, I got some stuff to say here. What's, um... And then I want to come back to like the, some of the contents of the book, right? Like the the format. But I'm curious. You know, this I work with. I work with some authors. I don't help them write books. That is not my thing. But we we do some of the branding. I do some of the branding work for them. I'm curious. What did you learn through the process of writing your first book that you didn't know before writing your first book? Uh,
1: I will. I will tell you this, you know, there's a long, there's a big arc there, um, you know, and I will start with the fact that I was like, oh, my speaking right, but it's like right before COVID, I'm going to write this book and I, I'm going to have so many, I'm going to just going to hire a, um, I'm going to hire a ghostwriter because I don't want really yeah. to say myself, are you kidding me? not the <laughs> yeah. dragger that I am. I, I'm going to hire a ghostwriter. And then the speaking kind of dried up and I'm like, and I realized yeah. the ghostwriter's charge. And then I also realized at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm going to be doing so much heavy lifting even with a ghostwriter. That I might as well just write the darn thing myself, and so that's what I did. And one of the things that I took for granted that I regret, and it is really, really, really nailing nailing down the table of contents. That sounds so elementary and basic. The problem is, is I have so much of the content, but you have to make sure that it's balanced, right? You can't have a section of the book, right? You can't have a chapter that's this long and then another chapter that's this long it's like so yeah I, had i been a lot more methodical about just being you know i did a table of contents but i needed to be more precise with it and that's what i would do the next time that's the advice i would give to people do not underestimate just the need for a very precise table of contents
0: that's man balanced. that's the first yeah that's the first time i've heard that that's really interesting yeah, because it would be weird, right? If, if if you open up a book and you look at the table of contents, like the first chapter is like thirty pages, and the second chapter is five pages, that would be for most people that would be a little bit of a strange experience. Well, like that's what, right. What, yeah,
1: and so I had to trim down a lot of content because it was too yeah. much, you know. And then it's going yeah. to outp- It's going to outweigh the other areas in the book. So
0: yeah. So let's talk about the contents of the book. What What can people expect to get from it? And what was your thought process as you're writing it in terms of what you wanted to make sure was in there. And I hear there's a bunch of lessons. How, like, what did you want? What do you want us as the audience to get out of your book?
1: Yeah. And so I, I think a lot of the books written by a lot of my contemporaries and other people in the military, are kind of that biography piece and, you know, and and that's great, right? That's just not the path. That's not the, the path I elected to take. Mine is it has my stories in there because I feel like, you know, you have to have that because people expect that and that's the credibility piece. But what was really important to me is that I take a book and I make it prescriptive in nature. Like I don't want you to just have a bunch of ideas. I want you to actually mm. have the opportunity to work through some of those ideas. And so there's a little workbook element of it. So at the end of each chapter or section, there is some little exercises for you to do. There's some things for you to write out. So you can kind of basically translate what the, contents, uh, what the content that you've read, how it applies to you. So one of the things about writing the book is it's not just about Navy SEALs. It's about really finding some of the common threads that all high performers use. And so I Mm -hmm. interviewed a bunch of uh, former professional athletes, Olympians, um, really high level business leaders and other military people. And I use other stories and entrepreneurs just to say, hey, these specific elements are what the highest performers do. Here's how we can take it and translate it to spill it down for you to use, for you to benefit from that wisdom and experience.
0: Yeah, nice. I I like that, the actionable, because yeah, it's interesting. I've read quite a few books, like biographies or military books, and you have kind of like the lone survivor type of thing. That's like more some education on what the process is, but then like a story, like a, a real life, real life story. And then you have kind of the big ideas, but yours is a very actionable, Hey, here's at the end of this chapter, here's three things you can do to work on, to work on your mental toughness or work on your emotional toughness. That's right. I love yeah, that. and, yeah, and We
1: all love, like, I, we all love reading good, entertaining stories. And I hope, and I have sure. some of that in there. I have what I consider to be some good, um, entertaining stories, but that's not the primary reason you know, I, I wanted to, to write a, a business slash, you know, self-improvement book, um, but yeah, that was that was kind of the motivation behind it.
0: Yeah, and now as we as we start to wrap up, I'm going to ask you the question that I've been waiting to ask you, and you know me well enough to know this is a, going to be a little bit of a joke, but not totally. How did everything you did in your entire career prepare you to be the father of boys playing hockey in high school? Oh man, I don't know. I think... <laughs> it didn't. You're like nothing can prepare you for that. No, I
1: just it's funny how you know you. <laughs> It's it's an interesting journey. I, I still maintain, you know, I never got to play the sport myself. I played soccer and I was pretty mediocre at it at best. And But, like, I, I, I maintain, you know, I have a daughter and now I love watching her play. She plays soccer, she does volleyball, she does basketball, and my son's more of a one-trick pony. He played lacrosse for a little bit, but now he's kind of just finishing up his hockey career. When he goes in, he's going to play his last year probably of, of hockey his senior yep. year. And it's competitive. It's a very competitive league that they're in yeah. in Illinois hockey, high school hockey. But you know, it's like you, you see the kids, and you're like, you know, I, my parents were not a, a involved at all in sports for me, mm. and so maybe I, you know, I, as I tended to maybe overcompensate with that by pushing them maybe a little bit too hard in that, right? And that, and then you, as you like mature out of that a little bit, right? you grow and evolve as a, as a father, or a parent. You realize, yeah. hey, like, what are we doing here? What, like. Let's make sure that everything they're doing is either fun or it's, or it's capturing a lesson that's going to serve them later in life, you know, and that sometimes is just being on a team. It's just, you know, being, being supportive to the people in a room with you, you know, it's that type of the life lessons. Um, And of course, you know, I, I, it was, it's kind of mandatory that my kids play sports because they are going to do that no matter what it is, whether they like it or not, they're going to play sports. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's, yeah that's kind of it. I know that was kind of a meandering answer to your question, but no
0: no that yeah. that was good that actually spur spurred another question for those of us out here who have children. I think life on the X is a very apropos like you know as a parent of now your children are a little bit older minor younger. it's very unexpected things very unexpected things happen so i'm I'm asking for myself and if you've had any lessons around this, how do you take the lessons from the book and all the things that you've done the mental toughness the emotional toughness and how do you deal with like transferring those lessons to your children without being it like you have to be the same as me because you know the value of these things in the real world and then you also have kids that are you know going through puberty and hormonal and you know I don't know exactly what the dynamic is but I'm super curious as a parent How do you maintain the balance of like, hey, I got these really powerful lessons I didn't know are going to serve you. And at the same time, you know, kids don't like being told what to do. At least my seven-year-old doesn't. (laughs) So how have you you and your wife balanced that?
1: Yeah, I I will just rewind a little bit because I think it's an important point to make is a lot of the – there are a lot of skills. There were mental skills that I learned in the SEAL teams that I think helped me in throughout the difficult areas of my career – but these things were I learned intuitively. Nobody taught me these things. And the problem with that yeah. is is then you don't really kind of learn. I don't know if science is the right word behind that, but you don't really learn the broader application. So mm. while you may have it together, you're like, all right, we're roping out of a helicopter. We're getting ready to hit a target. We're getting shot at. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Here I go. I aligned my training. But then all of a sudden, you may find yourself back home, and the slightest little thing sets you off, and you just don't find yourself prepared. And so – When I created the Warrior Toughness program, when I helped create it, right, I helped create the Warrior Toughness program, one of the things that was really, really important to me was that you teach this in a manner that you can apply consistently across the whole spectrum of challenge you face, both in your professional and your personal life. So without that, you know, we're not really setting people up to succeed because the better you are in one area, the the more effective you're going to be in the other area. It's going to bring up both games. And so (laughs) I, I think, though when you know and i definitely tried to impart these things on my son and in here's the thing you don't always know like when you're dealing especially with a you know an adolescent that you know the puberty hits you don't know what they're listening to right you don't know yeah. what they're absorbing and maybe and so i'd like to think that a lot of the things that i've done i you know i've kind of you taken a more measured approach as i evolved as a parent to say hey these are things that i want you to think about like right and but you know it's it's it is difficult when it's your own children. Like you have like yeah. friends that are like I have friends that are psychologists. They don't like if their kids are struggling. They don't give them that. They send them to somewhere else. Yeah. I think it's important yeah. that you just understand and support and get them. Like if there's issues, you recognize and, and align, marshal the right resources to help solve
0: that. Yeah. Thanks. Well, Steve, I just want to you know somebody we've known each other for a few years now, first third time guest on the show. I want to congratulate you. Hey. Thanks. On yeah, getting the book out, man. Like I, I, I don't know the nitty gritty of writing a book, but I know it's a lot of work and I, and just really congratulations. I can't wait to read it, order it and, uh, hope everybody who's listening orders it as well. Cause I'm sure it's going to be awesome. I was just telling Steve, if you go to Amazon, the artwork is like perfect for your brand too. I just love oh, the artwork of it. You did a good job. Well, let's talk as we wrap up here. You're also getting into the tech world.
1: As well, well <laughs> yeah i would I, I don't know that maybe is a stretch to say i'm getting here into the th-
0: here, co- here comes here comes steve's humbleness coming out
1: <laughs> no i was asked to collaborate with uh, on an app there's you know I, I think we recognize that for men there specifically there are a lot of challenges to emotional health and emotional well-being in terms of kind of how men are kind of maybe taught to process certain things and a lot of the things in terms of whether you're talking about mindfulness training, whether you're talking about you know just mental health, a lot of it just seems to be geared more towards women in, in many cases. Yeah. And so yeah, I was approached by a couple of guys, and they're like, "Hey, you know mental health in men, suicide rates, depression, it's through the roof right now. Let's do something that's to, targeted specifically to that. And so they created these guys a couple of them are from uh, developers from from the calm mindfulness app and so yeah. it's backed by it's a startup it's backed by a, a couple of people including Apollo Ono the you know the incredibly decorated uh, speed skater and so my yeah. contribution, believe it or not was to teach the things that a lot of them are in the book to teach these things but here's the thing in a cold shower setting believe it or not so Wait,
0: what? yes and
1: you're like what? So basically the premise is, so we take this very serious topic of mental health, but we also don't take ourselves too seriously. We want it to be fun there's things that we yeah. want to be funny, but here's the thing. If you want to perform under stress, you have to have an element of training under stress, right? That's what we do in the military, right? You, you try to stress yeah. yourself as much when you're training. So you can kind of have that adaptation more so when you're actually under stress. So one easy way to do that is with cold water. So not only are they incredibly mm-hmm. uh, beneficial in terms of physiology, in terms of hormones, in terms of uh, dopamine levels that are extended throughout the day, you are actually injecting very thoughtful and intentional stress and learning these things yeah. under stress so you can better apply them later. And so it's very progressive um, in terms, but yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. to. It, it's, a, yeah. it's it's called the mental app and it's kind of still in its uh, infancy, its beta stages, yeah. but it's available to, to check out now. But
0: That's great. So... For anybody who wants to listen to the silky smooth tones of Steve Drum <laughs> while taking a cold shower, <laughs> that's great. No, that's fu- that's fun. I didn't. I didn't. We hadn't talked about the cold shower part. That's so interesting. Yeah. So it's because yeah, like I hate cold showers for that exact reason because it's like introduced str- I, and I know it's good for you, but that's I really like that because it's helping you to again build the mental and I guess physical fortitude. In a way that isn't actually dangerous. No, but your body. That everybody can yeah, do. And,
1: and that here's everybody the thing. can do. Here's the thing: for the first part of it is 15 seconds of cold water. The first oh, part, so it's 15 not like, seconds. Oh, yeah. right. So it's like, hey, we're we're ramping up, right? So it is really approachable and doable for for anybody.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. How did they find you?
1: You know, I think they just saw. They, they probably heard. I think they heard me on some podcasts, and so yeah, yeah. And they screen me. That's cool.
0: <laughs> they screened you. Last thing, Steve, we didn't talk about this. You are an author. You're also a very accomplished speaker. So let's talk for a minute about what you've been up to. I know pandemic for all speakers was an interesting thing, but you are a speaker. I see your stuff you put on LinkedIn all the time. You're out speaking. What kind of things do you speak on and who do you like to speak to?
1: Yeah, and so it's funny, you know, the best thing you can do as a speaker for those out there is, and we've all heard this, if you're if you were a professional speaker, you realize you want to dial down your niche, right? But sometimes yeah. there's opportunities that you hadn't considered that come your way. I'd say what I like to do is basically, just like the book, it's the same things. The re- I wrote the book, or it's closely aligned to the things that I speak of. It's like, hey, here's what the top people in the world do to plan, prepare, execute, and learn, and then repeat. Here's what the top people in the world do uh, to be successful. And so here's how you can do it. And so I think a lot of it's like it's leadership and it's uh, sales is another big one in finance. People yep. that are like, hey, I have to go do this very specific thing at this moment. Right? Maybe I'm a new hmm. leader um, leading a, a new team for the first time. It's like, okay, what do I need to do? <laughs> so I show up as my first introductory session with the team to make sure that I have credibility that I make sure that I come across as somebody who's going to be an effective leader for that team, or I'm in front of that client, that customer. And it's like, Hey, I got the pressure to meet my numbers, right? Maybe my job is on the line. My reputation's on the line. All right. So it's that type of thing that I like to speak of. It's that performance under pressure. It's mental toughness. It's really learning and reflecting, gathering lessons learned for constant process improvement. Yeah. And I love it. I love doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you kill it, man. You're a great, amazing speaker. I've seen you speak a number of times, uh, in person, virtual. You're open. You're, out, you're out there doing your thing. That's right, Steve. Thanks for coming back for the third time.
1: Man, it seemed like this whole thing took five minutes. It was. Uh, I know. It's, yeah, it's it's just it's, it's, it's so, just so it's, just, so it's funny every that easy. I come on with you.
0: Well, yeah, well, it's like the first I and mean, the first time we did this. I think we did it at night over some uh, whiskey and i think we went for about an hour and 45 it's 10 it's ten fifty eastern time so i'm like and i gotta do some driving today so i'm like yeah i mean we'll, we'll keep this one alcohol free this time
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I, you, I think you were in a broom closet too when we were <laughs> your first yeah one. that's
0: that probably sounds right, right so steve we're gonna put a link to your book put a link to the app link to your website all that stuff in there this is gonna be an awesome episode i know like your episodes have crushed it before everybody go check out steve steve man again super proud of you thanks for Thanks for being on once again, and best of luck with with, uh, just having the book out there and seeing where that takes you and takes your career. It's really exciting.
1: Hey, thanks, Jason. I really appreciate that, and uh, you have a good weekend and safe travels, brother.
0: Thanks, brother.